About two years ago, David Platt wrote a book called Radical, which is a glance, a kind of a new look at old truths. His premise is that it's easy for American Christians to forget just exactly how Jesus said his followers would live, what their new lives would look like. They would, he said, leave behind security, money, convenience, even family for him. They would abandon everything for the gospel. They would take up their crosses daily. Now, that's radical living for sure, but it hasn't always translated well into 21st century American culture. Now, now let me clarify something here for, for just a moment. There is no virtue in giving up everything just for the sake of giving it up. There has to be a reason and a purpose behind it. That's not what God calls us to. He calls us to a willingness to part with anything for the sake of Christ. It is the spiritual wisdom to know how to make the most of our lives in our culture for Jesus Christ. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at three things that I think are a part of radical living, service, prayer, and sacrifice. Now, there are countless numbers of Bible characters that we could turn to if we want an example on service. But sometimes I kind of like looking at the characters that are not so well known. And one of those is a favorite of mine, and her name is Tabitha. Her story, her brief account of her story anyway, is in Acts chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9 this morning. We'll get there in a moment. If you don't recognize her by her Aramaic name, Tabitha, you might recognize her by her Greek name, Dorcas. Both of the names appear in the text. They are the same person. It's the same name. It's just translated in two different languages. And her story takes place in the city of Joppa, uh, the most important seaport city in Judea during New Testament times. Joppa was rather famous. It, it was the port that received the prized timber that was going to be used to build the temple. It was in Joppa that Jonah bought a ticket to get as far away from God and going to Nineveh as he possibly could. And it was here in Joppa that Peter, the Apostle Peter, encounters one of the greatest moments in his earthly ministry as he encourages the believers and challenges the non-believers through the life of this woman, Tabitha. So let's begin in verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which, when translated, is Dorcas, who always was doing good and helping the poor. Now, now just remember that phrase. That's descriptive of her life. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up, and he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Now, it's not a very long story, but there, it, it is packed full of great truths for us to remember. And here's the first one. Serve with a positive spirit. 
I don't know about you, but I like being around people who have a positive spirit, people who would be described as optimists. Are, are, are you an optimist? And I, I'm, I don't mean member of the club. I mean, are you an optimist? Are you optimistic at looking at life? Someone described optimism as a pencil that is seven inches long with a quarter-inch eraser. Pretty good description of, of optimism. Here are some others. An optimist is a college student who logs on to his bank account and expects to find money. That's an optimist. An optimist created the airplane, a pessimist created the parachute. An optimist blood type is always, oh, positive. A pessimist blood type is always, be negative. An optimist sees the donut, a pessimist sees the hole. But here's my favorite. An optimist is the human personification of spring. I think Tabitha was an optimist. I think she was the human personification of springtime. And I think it all began when she was a child. I think it began with the name that her parents gave her. Now, this name, Tabitha, shares a common Hebrew heritage with the name of a Judean princess who gave birth to King Joash. Maybe she was a distant relative. We don't know. But nevertheless, her name means gazelle. The commentator Lang writes, he says, the gazelle is distinguished for its slender and beautiful form, its graceful movements, and its soft but brilliant eyes. It is frequently introduced by the Hebrews as an image of loveliness. Now, we don't know if Tabitha was a beautiful lady on the outside, but we do know that her character and her manner and her spirit was beautiful on the inside. Hers was an encouraging name, much in contrast to other biblical female names like Leah, which means wild cow, or Huldah, which means weasel. <laughs> now imagine growing up with names like that. And we know from history, while we like the sound of names today, we know from history that the meaning of names at that day and time was incredibly important and valuable to the person who had that name. I would suggest to you that her talents and abilities, her, her role as a seamstress, her generosity with others. I think all of that grew out of this encouraging, optimistic home in which she grew up. Now, grandparents, parents, and soon-to-be parents, let me say a word to you here. You and I are responsible for creating an optimistic and positive environment for our families. Granted, there are going to be somber times and sorrowful times, and there will be times when discipline is necessary. But even in those moments of discipline, it can be done with a heart of encouragement. No parent is perfect, but some are better than others in creating a positive environment. Creating that positive environment will be especially true when it comes to the tough times in life. Winston Churchill wrote this. He said, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Which one are you? You see, anybody can be positive and optimistic when everything is going well. But it's the attitude that you put forth during the difficult moments of life that makes the biggest impact. So make every effort to give your family a positive foundation to build on. You 
be an optimist. And you're saying, well, I didn't grow up in an optimistic home. I, it just wasn't the way it was, so I'm just not very optimistic. Well, I'm sorry that you didn't grow up in an optimistic home, but quit whining, all right? <laughs> Optimism is an attitude that is your choice. So break the chain, will you? You didn't grow up that way, but make sure that those who are coming behind you don't grow up in the environment you did. You become someone who sees life positively because of your relationship with Jesus Christ and create that environment for those who are yet to be. And also discover where their talents and abilities lie. Help the young ones in your life to develop and hone their skills so that they'll be prepared to make a difference in the church as they grow older. And if they object to you trying to help them do that, do it anyway, because that is our responsibility as adults. Help them discover who God created them to be. What you do for and with them will set the pattern for the rest of their lives. I can't help but believe that Tabitha had parents like that. From the beauty of her name to the grace of her actions, it is clear she had a good start. And true servanthood begins with a positive spirit, and a positive spirit begins at home. Here, here's something else. Serve with whatever gifts you have. A gift is something undeserved, thus the name gift. Some of you have abilities that I marvel at. I look at some of the things that you do, and I just think, wow, that is incredible. They are God-given abilities. Two weeks ago, Timothy, 13-year-old Timothy, if you were here, he stepped up to this piano and, and made that piano do everything but dance. I just marveled. He didn't have a stitch of notes in front of him, and he didn't play the same song in any one of the services, and it was just marvelous. Now, folks, I took piano lessons for a few years, but if I took lessons until the day I died, I'd never be able to play like Timothy. <laughs> it's because it is a God-given ability, he was, and he was using it for God's glory and honor. You may develop your gifts, but they come to you by God's grace. They are not for your own glory or selfish purposes. They are gifts that God has given to you to help you serve in the kingdom of God, to honor Him, and to advance the gospel. So today, if you say, well, I really don't know what my gifts are, I want you to go home, go off by yourself, take a sheet of paper, and start writing down some of your abilities and the talents in your life. Look at some of the areas that really energize you and that you're passionate about because it's probably true that your talents are in the same areas as the things that really energize you, that you're passionate about. And if you say, well, I don't have a clue. Well, well talk to people that love you, people that know you, people that are friends and say, do you see anything in me that God could use? And let them direct you to some areas of expertise. And when people start telling you the same thing, you might say, yeah, there must be truth in that. And if you need some more help, here's a, a good exercise to take. Go to the church website, www.socc.org, and on the front page there, come down the left-hand column until you get to serve, put your cursor there. This screen will pop up, and then go over to Serving Central and come down to Gifted to Serve. Click there on Gifted to Serve, and it will bring up this particular screen, 
And uh, under the Take a Gifts Assessment, that little highlighted area there, if you'll click on that, it'll take you to a page where you can do some answering of questions, and through that, it may give you an idea of things that you don't even realize are a part of your nature and character. And then we can help you find a way to plug in as well. Now, I think there are two problems that come along uh, when, when it comes to our God-given talents. And, and one of them is regret, and the other one is conceit. The first problem is to conclude that you don't have any gifts, that there is this regret. I, I am giftless. But I'm here to tell you, God didn't make any giftless people. He didn't make us as pew potatoes. God gave you something to be used in His kingdom. And this is even worse. When you look at somebody else and you say, oh, I, I, I wish I had her gifts, or oh, he is so talented, I wish I was like him. Stop doing that. God created you to be who you are, and he has a role for you in your life, and he can use you in his kingdom if you will develop those talents. And do not excuse your faults as part of your talents. Do not say something like this, I know I'm stubborn and pig-headed and hard to get along with, but hey, those are my gifts. Those are not your gifts, all right? Faults we want to overcome, gifts we want to overflow, accept the gifts that you have. On the flip side of the problem is conceit. The gifts are not for our bragging rights. Regardless of your giftedness, now I don't care how many talents or abilities you have, you're not extra special. When I am tempted to think more of myself than I should, I just remember that from a pure physiological standpoint of view, 75% of the human body is comprised of H2O and fatty lipids. In other words, three-fourths of me is nothing but water and flab. <laughs> don't laugh, you're the same, all right? <laughs> there is nothing worth bragging about when you're three-quarters water and flab. Take what God has given to you and realize that you are the benefactor of a gift. And He has given you that gift by His grace to be used for Him. But before you can use it, you have to develop it. Now, I still get excited about gifts. If there's a package wrapped up and it's got my name on it, I, I get excited. I, I even look forward to junk mail. <laughs> it may not be junk. You know, you just never know when you open that. It might be something extra special. There's something about gifts or something wrapped up that just is extra special. I cannot imagine having a present sitting on a table for weeks or months with my name on it and leaving it unopened. And yet some of you are doing that very thing spiritually. There are gifts that God has given you and you have left them unopened and undeveloped in your own life. In the same way that you cannot walk out onto the court and sink 85% of your free throws without hours of practice, so neither can you be as effective in your service to God without developing the gifts and the talents and the passions that He has instilled in you. Your effectiveness will often depend upon your working in your areas of giftedness. Now, folks, when I hear somebody say, I teach in the children's department, but I just don't like kids, <laughs> I know they're not going to be very effective in what they're doing. You know, don't let guilt or obligation take you to where you serve. Make sure you're serving out of the passion of your life. Just look at Tabitha. 
Widows in that day were among the poorest. They had the hardest time. Because if, if your husband died and you had no other family to help take care of you, it was just scratching for every morsel, every moment, every day was a new adventure of trying to live. And Tabitha devoted her life to helping take care of the widows. It, it would seem that she may have been a widow herself. No mention of her family is made in the text. And those that had gathered around her bed when she had died were not family, but friends and close associates. It would also seem that she was not poverty-stricken, that she was a woman of at least some means, because not only did she provide for herself, but she invested her life, energy, and resources in helping others who were less fortunate and thereby encouraging him. Hers was a gift with the needle and thread. She taught with skilled hands, timely stitches, and actions that spoke louder than words. Do not discount the labor of your hands. It may be the talent that God uses best. And when you develop these gifts, then use those gifts to change the world around you. You know, most of the time we, we are encouraged to see the big picture. Think globally. And that's a good thing to do. But, but here's my problem when I try to think globally. It, it is such a big thing to get my hands around, you know, and I think, oh, if everybody's thinking that, well, somebody will do it. I mean, after all, I can't go to Pango Pango, but somebody will go to Pango Pango, so I'll just sit back. And, and it's easy for me to absolve myself of any responsibility when I'm thinking too big. So when it comes to service, I want you to think smaller environment here. I want you to think of your own personal world, your home, your classroom, your workplace, your neighborhood. I, I want you to think in that environment because it's a lot harder to ignore those needs. Look there first and find where you can serve and make a difference. Now, I, I really celebrate what has happened here for the tornado victims and, and, uh, and, and the relief that's been provided for them. If, if I understand right, last count was over $15,000 had come in just from the congregation here, in addition to some other special gifts that have come along. And all of that's being funneled through the Bunker Hill Christian Church. That, that's one of the things I want you to know. And, and Alan was right earlier in, in his uh, offering meditation that we are doing our best to make sure that what we do, we do right, and, that, and we can make sure that it is being used most effectively. We know that this money is getting into the hands of the people who were a part of that tragedy down there, and that's important for you to know that we'll do our best to make sure that happens. But just giving money to something isn't the answer. And, and it just is a momentary relief. The needs will go on for a long time, and we can't just salve our conscience by saying, okay, we've done our part now, let's go on with our life. Brian Feichert wrote, he said, it doesn't matter how well-intentioned we are, good intentions are not enough. It is very possible to hurt people in the very process of trying to help them. And you ask, well, how do you do that? And, and the answer is, it's not just about giving aid, it's about aiding them to help themselves. Most people do not want to be dependent. They don't want to be looked down upon. They don't want to be pitied. They may need immediate relief, but they need a relationship that helps them get beyond the tragedy that's happened or the need in their life to pick up the pieces and go forward. And that's who we need to be. 
we, when you look at Tabitha's life, there are, there are these simple words that describe what she was doing. Who was always doing good and helping the poor. True acts of goodness grow out of one's relationship with Jesus, and other relationships then grow out of that relationship with him. She was always doing good. It describes a habitual kind of work. It was not a one-time flurry of needle and thread. This was a way of life for her. And notice, too, the sorrow of her friends. It's not about the clothes they wouldn't be getting. They're not up there telling Peter, you know, this Christmas we aren't going to get a new robe. It's not about that. They were crying because they'd lost a dear friend. You see, Tabitha had built the relationships. That's why the gifts meant so much. Doing good deeds should not be a one-time activity. Neither should those activities be empty of relationships. Just take a look at Tabitha. Make sure your deeds of goodness do not come as a surprise to those around you. Live your life in such a way that people will expect nothing less from you than goodwill and good deeds. Here's the last thing. Serve while you can. Serve while you can. There seems to be no warning of Tabitha's death. It appears it was the response or the result of an illness. We don't think it's age-related. She is not said, you know, she died of old age. It says that some kind of illness hit her, and it took her quickly. And when Peter arrived at her home, they were still in shock at what had happened. Now, learn these lessons well. No one knows how much time he or she may have. Therefore, do not put off doing what is right and important until tomorrow, because you may not have tomorrow. Don't wait for the perfect moment to serve. There is no such thing as the perfect moment to serve. And if you keep putting things off, you'll leave this world with regrets. And I don't want you to leave this world with regrets. Serve today. You may not have tomorrow. And then remember this, just because you're using your God-given talents and just because you're doing good things and just because you're known as a good person and just because God is working in your life does not mean that you will be spared all the problems and the circumstances and the situations of life. Serving the Lord is no guarantee that nothing bad will happen. It's just a guarantee that when you go through the bad experiences, you will weather them better because you're going through them with Jesus Christ. When things seem bleakest, God steps in and does something miraculous. I, I, I love this picture of Peter. He is taking lessons from Jesus. You know, he'd seen this happen once before. When Jesus went into the home of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, his daughter had been ill and had died, and Jesus cleared everybody out of the room, and he raised up the daughter. And so Peter goes into the room, clears everybody out of the room, and he gets down on his knees, and he prays, and then he says, Tabitha, get up. And he takes her by the hand and he restores her to this family of believers who loved her so much. And you say, oh, what a wonderful gift for Tabitha. This wasn't a gift for Tabitha. I mean, people, once you're in heaven, where's the last place you want to come back to? This wasn't for Tabitha. It wasn't even for the widows that were sorrowing around her bed. This was a gift of God to let people know that in the bleakest moments of your life, He knows what's going on, and He will be there to go through you with it. And it was to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ because the last line of the story says this, many believed as a result. 
And isn't that why we serve? So that as many as possible will believe in Jesus Christ. Don't overestimate the value of this world and underestimate the joy of heaven. Serve well here so as many as possible will be there when we go home. Last fall, I stood on the battlefield in Fredericksburg, Virginia, where the Battle of Fredericksburg took place on December the 13th, 1862. Sergeant Richard Kirkland, along with his Confederate unit, found himself waiting in the sunken road behind the stone wall at the base of Marie's Heights as the Union Army attacked. On that day, in December of 1862, wave after wave of blue-coated federal soldiers stormed toward that wall. No one ever got closer than a hundred feet of that wall. And by the time the day was over, 12,000 Union troops had fallen, most of whom fell at Marie's Heights. The next morning, the battlefield in front of that stone wall was littered with the wounded bodies of men who were caught somewhere between life and death. The mournful sounds from those wounded men was more than Sergeant Kirkland could bear, so at great risk to himself, he gathered up as many canteens of water as he could carry, and he crossed over the wall to serve the wounded Union soldiers spread across that field of suffering. Soldiers on both sides nicknamed him the Angel of Marie's Heights. Richard Kirkland survived that day, but he did not survive the war. He died the following year in the Battle of Chickamauga. In, 18, in 1965, a hundred years after the end of the Civil War, a beautiful monument was erected to his memory. It stands on that very field in Fredericksburg, just beyond the stone wall. It stands as a tribute to his courageous and compassionate service. No monument may grace your story, but your life can be monumental if it is radically lived in compassionate service for Jesus Christ. I hope that you are known as the angel of wherever you live because Jesus shines brightly in your compassionate service. If you're here this morning and Jesus isn't your Savior, then today's the day you need to begin radically living differently with Him as Lord.